Okay, so next up on my current reading list, what I am currently reading is a book that you're going to read along with me. And that book is Lethal White by Robert Galbraith. What I'm going to do is just read through the book and as I finish certain chunks, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to update you and just tell you how I feel in more of a quote real time way. So right now I am going to introduce the book. So this book is the fourth in a series called the Cormoran Strike series. Why did I say that weird like that? Cormoran. Cormoran Strike is kind of a hard hard name to say. Nevertheless, the author is Robert Galbraith, aka J.K. Rowling. When I discovered this writing from her, I was blown away. I liked Harry Potter, like most people do, but this level or this style of writing was extremely refreshing because it's extremely adult centric. <laughs> I mean, coming from Harry Potter, like everything is adult centric, but nevertheless, it was a really refreshing take on JK Rowling's style. I appreciated it. I normally do not go for the whole mystery detective. There are only there are few books that I willingly go into knowing it's a mystery, but this book wasn't bad as in the first three that I read just kind of sucked me in. I devoured them. And what I enjoyed about the book, and you can verify this if you want to read this along with me, is that the lead character, his name is Cormoran Strike, and he had more flaws than Oz. This is a detective who... He's a private and he found himself to become a private inte private detective. He is the child of um, pretty famous parents, but his childhood was not filled with something that he thinks fondly of. Um, I believe he has some military service and during that service, he lost a leg. Now, there aren't very many books other than maybe, I don't know, Captain Hook, you know, where the lead male character doesn't have all of his limbs. And I think that that particular feature of him gave him a very just nice, just a nice angle on things. He is definitely missing a leg and he's not polished. He's not you know Rico Suave you know limping around London none of that he's just a guy with he's a huge presence physically and you know he just commands your attention he's tall you know his hair is 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 nappy be like he's a black man I mean like nappy white man nappy hair you know just whatever attributes that a tall, burly man could have that should not attract people, he has it. And nevertheless, he is a magnet. <laughs> and it seems like every woman that's attracted to him is extremely attractive herself, or that's the description in the book. And what they see in him, I don't know, but 
there's something about him that is that is attractive. And I find that refreshing because there are certain people you are going to meet in your life who outwardly you think, mm-mm, but inwardly you think, mm-hmm, and this is what it is with him. So J.K. Rowling's style of writing in the first three installments was what made me download and read this book. Um, but I have to say that unfortunately, and again, I'm trying not to be too, um, you know, it's about the writing and what did the story do? And that's what I want to review and, and make my judgment on the book from, but it's been three years since the third book and the fourth book. So I want to complain about the hiatus, but that doesn't have to be a bad, you know, that doesn't have to be bad news for this book because at the end of the day, if the story is good, it's good. And as long as the story can be maintained, then that is what counts. And thus far, I am honestly having a hard time. Gosh, I'm having a hard time. So I'm on chapter 13. And the only parts of the story that I care about are between Cormoran. Can I spell his name right here? Because it just feels like it just clunks out of my mouth. C-O-R-M-O-R-A-N. Cormoran. That is the worst enunciation like I that word does not feel good say that say that name out loud it does not roll off the tongue in any way nevertheless I only care about Cormoran Robin Matthew and maybe Cormoran's girlfriend and that will tell you how much I actually don't care about her because I can't even remember her name but I do not care about any of the other characters yet. You know, and, you know, 13 chapters into a book. By then, you know who you give a damn about and who you don't. And any author that wants me to care about somebody, you have to be making me care between 1 and 13. Clearly by 13, by 13, I should care about all these side stories, you know, and that's the reason why mystery mystery books don't intrigue me because it becomes a data mine where it's like, you know, this person, that person, this person, that person, this person, and it's like, okay, you know, and when it's a detective series, you know, you have to give these details because I guess the people who like solving mysteries need this so they can clue hunt. But I read, when I read a book, I like to find the love story. Now, that love story doesn't have to be linear. It does not have to be between two human beings. It can be between the man and his dog, a man and his car, a man and his, a woman in her shoes. You know, it can be, as long as I can make that love connection, as long as I can get, as long as my heart gets involved, I am there. But. My heart's only involved when they're talking about Cormoran and Robin and Matt and the other girl. So Cormoran is, as I said earlier, a private investigator. And 
you would think with rich parents, and I don't want to say rich parents, he had famous parents. Like, he had parents that were like, okay, if your parent was like a rocker who was famous back in the 80s or something but is irrelevant now, like, he had them kind of parents. So it doesn't mean that necessarily he's supposed to be in a mansion or something. It's just that, you know, he was just the, the spawn of people who used to be relevant. And, um... The course of his life was so rocky that he didn't have that silver spoon in his mouth. And he has had to have, his life is hard. I mean, he obviously lost a leg in the service, but after losing that leg, life hasn't gotten any better, obviously. But, you know, trying to make ends meet has never been his strong suit in these books. But... Somehow he was able to scrap up money in order to open up a private investigator firm because one thing about Cormoran is he's in, he's he is a presence. He's huge. Like, he's intimidating. And one thing about him is that for everything that's a flaw, his brain is an awe. So where he doesn't have the Rico Suave outward appearance, his mind is Rico Suave. So he's able to go that extra step in order to solve mysteries and crimes. Usually it's crime. So he's willing to go and stake you out and hunt you down and wait, you know, at night until he can find you and bring you in personally, you know. So he's able to do that. He's got, he oozes wit. He When I say wit, he's not anybody's fool. Whatever he lacks in awe, excuse me, whatever he lacks, in, yeah, whatever he has a flaw in, his awe, his mind, his charisma makes up for. So he was able to bring in an assistant, and her name is Robin. And they're they are, you can say a dynamic duo. They 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 get the job done together. And between book three and four, Robin has gotten married. Robin got married to a man that she does not love anymore. She is in one of those relationships where the loyalty factor overrides all so she she at the end of the day doesn't want to necessarily she doesn't want seem to want to fail and her fear fear of failure is what keeps her there also her insecurity because she loves strike strike cormoran cormoran strike she loves him and cormoran loves her but it's a secret love so they both are secretly in love with each other but if you had to give them a test on how we could come together and be a couple they could they would flunk that test they don't even know the first thing to do even though each of them think about each other incessantly so I find that interesting that two adults do not know how to get together I mean like it's probably the easiest thing in the world to you know get together even if it's an emotional thing but nevertheless she is married and is Cormoran's assistant. Now, her husband, Matthew, Matthew is Rigo Suave on the outside. But he is, his brain is not Rigo Suave. His brain, like his personality is, is not good. He is extremely harsh with her. He is terse. He is controlling. He is anything you can think of that he is, that he could be that's negative, he is. He hasn't done anything physical, I don't think yet. Um, but I mean, 
this is a guy that has everything going for him looks and all of that kind of stuff to the degree that Robin has forgiven him for being unfaithful to her when they were dating um even has gone so far as to have had sex with somebody that's in their intimate social circle as a friend and when they have parties they still invite her and somehow he was able to slide in her brain and and you know give her that you know mac trick that mac uh treatment where it was like you know it's 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 all good if she still comes around it's not a big deal you know and she is all good with it and it's like oh my gosh um the setting is in london so i'm sorry if i didn't if i haven't said that but the setting is in london and the year it doesn't seem like it's current year but it might be current year nevertheless cormoran has a girlfriend i don't know her name and i might know it but i don't remember it and um um cormoran doesn't really care about her I don't it's not that he hates her and and I don't know that I would say he disrespects her but when Cormoran is with a woman it's because she wants him he is extremely indifferent about women um I don't think he even understands what a woman wants with him he doesn't have a low self-esteem in that regard it's just that he um mm, he's definitely a man and you know he hasn't a, a, a mature relationship with women as in you know he gets his sexual needs met because again he does not ever have any thirst when it comes to women because they want him so bad and he gives it to him but i'm just saying that she is the one who loves more in that position and um so you can tell that the hammer is going to drop and it has to because he's not going to marry her and the second she started you know smelling like she wants to be married he is going to end that swiftly so the girl that he's with is being extremely cautious with the way you know she is walking landmines when she's with him because she knows that if he catches on he's out of there so at this point he and robin are going to go undercover and they are going to you know it's there's some man who is being blackmailed and his blackmailee works in a political office over in london somewhere and you know the house of commons or you know i'm sorry if i didn't if i don't parliament one of those and so Robin has to go undercover and then Cormoran's gonna go under undercover she's gonna do the stuff that you know she can't do because again her husband is controlling and he really doesn't like her working with Cormoran and uh so he has a problem with her working there and so she's only really actually working there by the skin of her teeth but you know uh that will come to a head so I almost quit this book, but I realized, you know what? No, don't quit, A, because don't quit, and B, because bring it to the podcast, and, and let's, let's parse this out here, and let's see if this story is going to deliver what I need. Um, hopefully, the mystery portion of this book will crank up a little bit so that 
it can at least become semi uh, enjoyable and so that I can report back to you and let you know that I was wrong the book is great but I know it's going to be good yet it's only in the sections that involve the uh, quartet as I'm going to call it from here on out I want to know about the quartet and one thing I hate about books with people who have a a fantasy or science fiction background is and it's more of the fantasy and not so much the science fiction fantasy authors they love details and i'm talking about if you walk into a room that fantasy that that author even if they're not writing fantasy because again this is not harry potter but when she walk, when J.K. Rowling walks her character into a room, she is going to describe everything. Now, she is extremely good at it. I'm not saying that she can't describe, but I am a less is more kind of a girl. I don't need all the damn information. As a matter of fact, I need very little. I just want you to tell me what the hell is Matt going to do to finally wake Robin's ass up? Is he gonna have to? give her you know a black eye is he gonna have to cheat with the right person you know what is Cormoran going to do to Matt when he does whatever stupid stuff he's going to do to Rob you know I know this is a mystery so you have to you know uh, stroke the mystery lovers but to me and I'm not saying this is the case here this is just a tangent sometimes I think authors are terrified of giving you only the good parts why you know now some of this and I do have some experience with this guy so please bear with me sometimes I think that writers are trying to pad down pages the filler I reviewed Blake Couch and his brevity is refreshing he there was zero filler there I forgot to put that on that but there isn't any filler there. So if you're a person that hates reading around the filter, there isn't any. J.K. Rowling, my God. If you had a pencil, you are going to know how sharp that pencil is, what color the pencil is, what the wood feels like in your hand, how the eraser drifts off the page when you erase with it, how cramped your finger is while you're holding it, whether you need to go sharpen it. And if you go use the sharpener, how does it sound when it sounds like... I don't need all that. Like, I hate that i mean again she's jk rowling for a reason and when you are building a world i really don't fault fantasy writers 100 percent because when you write when you are building a world i guess you think you need to be fact dense you don't or let's say detail dense you don't let me take over you have done now what she lacks in her brevity she does a good job describing. So my thing is, if you're a good descriptor, you can use a less is more approach because we get it. Like, you've done such a good job. We can run with that. So I can't stand that. And that's going to be a hurdle for me to have to surmount when it comes to this book because it's just going to give me useless details that I do not care about. But, 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 but. When it comes to, it's, it, you know what I, what this book is like for me, this book is like 
you know, when the stories were a thing, and I mean by stories, I mean soap operas, like on Channel 4, Channel 2, Channel 5, you know, your granny or even your mom or maybe even you might remember. And um, let's go to Young and the Rest. It's something everybody knows. Okay, so, you know, the scenes with, like, Victor and Nikki and, like, Jack and Ashley and who was the other good ones? Um, Bolden and Beautiful, Ridge and Brooke. Like those scenes, the ones you, the only ones you cared about. And then when they would show the story on like a, um, what day would it be? Like a, a Monday. When they talking about, uh, the little college kid or the, you know, the stepson of the, the third wife. Them little, just subsidiary filler stories to give the real, the good ones a break. Those hated that part of the stories you know it was just annoying and it was you know they had an hour to fill or however long it was I think it was like four it would come on like four to five and I, again I'm circling back around to the filler I mean these people they have to have content but my thing is this if Victor and Nikki are the only people we care about I think you can give us an entire hour with just Victor and Nikki try that out and see because when you do that, you will have so many people dying to read your book. And then with a name like J.K. Rowling and like Young and the Restless, who is going to turn that off when they get a hundred, one hundred percent of Victor and Nikki? Who would turn that off? If this book only, book one through three, pretty much, I mean, there was, there were mysteries to solve. But damn near, damn near every line was was about Cormoran, Robin, and like whatever they were dealing with. But it was still them too. And Matt was jammed in there because he was the boyfriend. But at the same time, everything that I read, it was always Cormoran, Robin, Cormoran, Robin. Now there are these tangents where maybe it's Cormoran, but it's not really him. It's, he has to meet up with this person. And then let's introduce this character and let's show how dirty he is. And, you know, brush his teeth and his hair is scraggly. And it's like, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. But that does not hook me in. You have to touch my heart. And when somebody is just being described as having, you know, like a winter coat on in the middle of the summer, it doesn't do anything for me. I'm just saying. So <laughs> I'm on chapter 13 right now. And I look forward to reading along with you so I'm going to come back and I am going to update you when I get another chunk read and hopefully I can give you the goods now what I will do so that this podcast episode does not become me complaining 100% of the time even though I will do some of that because this is my time I'm using to read but if it turns into, you know, details versus the quartet, what I'll do is maybe just fill you in on what the quartet does. I don't know. But if it becomes painful, I'll just try to zoom in on the quartet and just give you an update on where they are. Like, how far did Matt go this time? What was Cormoran's girlfriend's name? <laughs> maybe I'll have her name next time. But, um, yeah, so... Let's 
go into this story and read it along together. And even if you don't get the book, literally, you can listen along with me. And I hope that if nothing else, you're being entertained because I'm finding bringing this book that I almost didn't read, bringing this book to the podcast is much more pleasurable, even through the pain that I have to experience when I'm reading. So take care of yourselves and I will report back when I have more. Okay, guys. So here is another update from Lethal White. Oh my goodness. So sometimes when you can define a problem, it's next to impossible to unsee that problem. And if you guessed that those irritating details came back to haunt me, then you are right. I'm now on chapter 20. That's seven more chapters than I was on my previous update. And the story feels like it has gone nowhere. It's the details. And it just seems like The details, they don't move the story along for me. And I think that's why the struggle is real right now. Now, aside from the massive information dumping, I really don't have a connection to anything in this story. To me, it feels as though the author is trying to keep the most interesting people in the story apart. I'll even at this point, I will take whatever Matt's going to do, whatever he is going to say. Because despite my description of Matt and how he just sucks. Him as a character is interesting because he will add a dynamic to the story that helps me to feel for something. And not just Robin because that's his wife, but for Cormoran and the predicament he's going to find himself in when he has to make the ultimate choice, whether it's to speak up And, you know, stick his neck out for Robin or Robin, whether not so much him being cruel to her because Matt really hasn't changed from book one. So she went into the marriage knowing he, I mean, he cheated before they got married. So as hard as it is to um, give Matt any points, I mean, Robin knew he sucked beforehand so so just act like you can't take enough i mean him cheating on you wasn't enough i mean when you know when what is your enough but i'm excited to see the dynamic between her uh matt and cormoran as it relates to her possibly having to defend cormoran 
Because Matt does not like Cormoran. Because he's an imposing person. And when I say imposing, I just mean physically. I mean, he makes people insecure about themselves. Just by just by measure of him existing inside of the same room with you. And I just... I believe that these two, Cormoran and Robin, may finally be able to figure out how to find each other, I guess, in that way. When the day when they have to stand up to Matt. Because thus far, I mean, in book two, maybe more so two or three, Robin has had to defend herself when it came to her independence and her wanting to work and do the job that she's doing. She has had to defend that and just kind of dig her heels in that she was not going to be Polly Homemaker. So that was nice to see. But she's never, her defense has always been one where she defended herself. She's never had that point where she had to defend her friendship with Cormoran. That is going to kill Matt in the best way possible because you know his ego will not be able to accept that Robin not only is his friend but loves him as a friend. And Matt is no idiot. The day that she defends Cormoran, he will know that she is in love with him just because it's it, it will be impossible for either Cormoran or Robin to breach that particular hurdle without it being extremely clear about how they feel about each other. And it is not, you know, boss worker. It is going to be emotional. And that's what I want from this story. I do not want statistics. And I'm not saying that she's writing a math textbook. But, I mean, the characters who are involved in this undercover office that Robin works in, I don't care about any, can you say any of them? None. I don't care. So... I will take crazy from Matt. I will take some desperation from Cormoran's girlfriend, who I know and I do believe, and I'm convinced, let's say, that Cormoran could care less about this girl, you know, like on a I love you, unending love. That point is ground home, but damn, in seven chapters. She has not been mentioned. Not once. And what has happened in seven chapters? I don't, I really don't know. I mean, Cormoran, the only thing that I remember, and it's not that my memory is bad, nothing has happened. Um, what did Cormoran do? He um went to a hair salon. Asked for some information. It ended up, you know, not even 
surprising him, the information he found out. He already knew kind of before he even got there. Um, he packs for this trip. Um, packs a lunch that she goes to great detail into great detail um of of telling us precisely at one point he ran out of food and how you know so <laughs> um so yeah I'll take Matt 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 has been mentioned twice that I can remember once when it was um Robin having to lie about who she was on the phone with so she could talk to Cormoran. And then she went outside. So that didn't make any sense because it's like, okay, if it was, she she said it was her friend, Veronica. But then she got up and went outside. And again, Matt's not exactly stupid. So he knows that she knows that he doesn't like Cormoran. So, wouldn't a smart person know that you're never, like, my thing is, if you're going to, you can't pretend as though your working relationship with Corman doesn't exist, even though you're working with him. So, if you come home and you just never talk about work, it all, it looks more like, it looks even more like you're trying to hide what goes on, instead of, if it is Cormoran, she wants to avoid arguments. And I do understand that. But at the end of the day, that's her job. That's her employer. So if you were able to dig your heels in good enough for him to stand you going to work every day. If he has a phone call, but, you know, it was after hours. And I'm sure that anything to avoid an argument at this point with her is exactly what she wanted. So girlfriend, she's not been mentioned because I was I don't I still don't know her name and I probably won't remember it next time but if I do I will make sure I tell you guys so I would rather have information from those two people but you know I'd rather have those two things but I would rather not have um the way English people say Criswell um which it, it it the more eccentric you are it turns criswell into crizzle and it's like okay well why are you telling us this information because she says either chris well she says something to the tune of chris well he said it like chris well or chris chris crystal he said it like crystal. She literally says that so many. She said that more times than I got interaction between Robin and Matt or Corman and his girlfriend, was, which was non-existent. But she went back and forth about the way you say either Chris Well or Crizzle more times than Robin and Corman had occasions to speak. Now, when they did speak, they would speak for a few minutes, but it was always this. I wasn't able to do it yet. I wasn't able to do it yet. Or I was able to do it. But that isn't funny. Because my job is so hard. And all of that. So also. Cannot stand listening about Cormoran's. 
hurting leg. We get it. He is an amputee. And, you know, that phantom, phantom limb syndrome, I guess. I don't know if it's something that, if that is a, um, connected to the pain, but literally, probably every other paragraph tells you how much his leg hurts. And if I never had to hear about his leg hurting, I would be okay. I would never say I, you're never at any point in this review going to hear me say, gosh, I, I just wonder how he feels because I know that Cormoran's leg hurts 24-7. We get it. Gosh. Um, Here's another thing that I can stand to never, never have to hear about again. And that's Robin. I do not want to hear another word about her panic attack. She is now on her, she has had at least, she has had at least three or four, and I'm being conservative, panic attacks, because her boss is sleazy. Now, I'm going to offend some people right here, and I don't care, because I'm your bookie, and if you're listening to this, this is your entertainment, so stop being so sensitive. Um... If you are a woman and you cannot take a man looking at your breasts or your butt, your lips, sometimes a man may look at you and his first gaze is going to be to your chest and then your eyes or he's just going to have that come hither look to him. That is called life. That is life. Now, am I saying that she should be able to accept being um, approached at work by men. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Back in the day, they used to consider that a compliment when a man was sexually attracted to you. I don't, you know, it's very difficult to read stories nowadays because you get these ultra, when I say ultra, ultra sensitive characters. Who can't take anything. Um, Another reason why this part is just nonsensical to me. Is because this is the fourth book. Robin has been in all four of these books. Well, the first three as well. And from the kind of work that they do. They don't do the kind of work where, you know. Like what you would traditionally think law enforcement would do. Have on nice clothes and be welcome everywhere they go when they go they are going to they look like you when you leave the house they are not wearing anything special other than if they choose like robin is in disguise now so she has chosen to change like for instance her eye color but um they haven't done anything they 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 are what you call street justice so there are things that they do that are especially Cormoran because he does not mind but they do things that are let's say they're the type of people they, they have the kind of agency where if they got to break the law to serve the law they do that so Robin is no stranger to having to be in circumstances that 
would make her feel like, ew, I don't want to be here. But in the first three books, she was not fragile whatsoever. This new neuroticism she has, I mean, it is absolutely like she's a different person because it is not only making her feel uncomfortable and ultra sensitive, but imagine being in the office and a woman who has just spoken to her boss or something and she stops in the middle of the office, closes her eyes, talks to herself. And breathes in and out like she's in a yoga class. Deep, hard, you know, hold it for three, exhale for seven breaths. Seriously. This Robin is not Robin from book one, two, and three. This Robin is triggered. She's she's ultra sensitive. She can't, like, it was Cormoran's idea for her to go and do this job. But the theme of Robin's personality has always been jump in with your feet. Just jump in head first. So the Robin in book like two would have done this mission and got it all done on the same damn day. But instead, it's taking her, you know, several days just to plant a bug in the office. Simply because she can't stand the way he looks at her. Looks at her? I mean, you can't control how people look at you. You might not like it. But you can't control it. And I think that, um, I just think she has turned into a basket case. And I'm really trying to figure out, you know, A, how can she be in disguise and not blow her cover when she is literally having an episode three, four, five, six times a day? She's brand new, so I all eyes on you. But not only are you brand new, but you are literally having an episode in the middle of the office. People come up to talk to her and she's like, she's like, hey, bathroom break now. Like that. Like, seriously, girl, because somebody looked at you. So <laughs> I just feel like this tick is going to end up putting her in some kind of trouble. Like if she if her cover is not blown at some point because she's got this neuroticism i would be surprised because she can't handle anything all of a sudden lastly would i quit this book if it were not for me being your bookie yes i would but as i said earlier i'm gonna persevere because you know this is a level of entertainment that you may not have been able to get today um this is something that's great for you to be able to do chores to to drown out a meeting you're in that you have totally zoned out of for you to be able to you know endure a visit from somebody that you don't want to visit with for you to drive back and forth to work for you to shop in you know the store whatever the case may be this is your chance to be able to be entertained by a book that you don't have to even waste your time with unless you just really want to but um, that is where I am so far. My thoughts on the remainder of the book, because guys, I'm only like a little bit over a quarter into this book. 
J.K. Rowling is extremely long-winded, and that comes from her fantasy background. I mean, she... I mean, her editors or her publishers must put one hell of a, a demand on her word count because she describes everything. J.K. Rowling could write five chapters on a person um, getting out of their car and coming into the house from wherever they came from. I mean... She is going to describe to you everything that happened from you getting out of the car and going inside the house. So, with that prospectus, <laughs> I have got a lot to go. And I'm only 25% in. Oh, gosh. So, I may not check back in until I am. I'm going to try to hold off until I'm halfway through. Unless something happens that means i have to come back sooner than that but i'm going to try to make some serious headway because um yeah if she is this hell-bent on giving me all the details that means that i'm not even in the middle of the book yet guys i mean normally in a story the pattern usually is the beginning of the book is is interesting the middle drag ass and then the end tends to hurry up and rush and get finished and since i'm not in the middle i'm gonna say everything from about here till i get about to 80 percent is going to be this and i am not looking forward to that but for your entertainment i will do it so bear with me guys i will check back in next episode and hopefully something has happened preferably to this quartet i do not care about the mystery i I really i just don't i really don't and i just wish that she put the magnifying glass on the quartet more than the mystery but it's the other way around so bear with me hang in there and i'll talk to you a little bit later i did not finish this book and i don't feel bad about it the only good thing, if you can call it that, that came out of finishing or let's say attempting to wrap this story up was I finally found out Strike's girlfriend's name and it's Lorelai. So where do I even start with this? So I didn't think that I would quit. But I did. And if you ever find yourself, this is this is a hurdle when I was, I don't know how many years ago, but for some reason, I felt actual guilt when I didn't finish a book. And I would hate read it all the way to the end because of the completion I thought was going to be there. And whether it was there or not is really not the point. But the point is that if you tell a bad story, that's the consequence of you telling that bad story is that people will stop listening to your story. And that is exactly what happened here. So what I did was I tried to suffer through it. And it just got 
to be physically impossible for me to continue to put my brain under that kind of stress. So what I did was I stopped reading at that point and I skipped all the way to the end, to the epilogue. And I started to read that. And within the first couple of lines, I thought, you know what? No, go back. Because you have probably missed something that is going to make you feel really regretful that you didn't do that. But that's not the case. How can I say that even though I didn't read it? Because I went back and I suffered through again. And when I could not take it anymore the second round, I skipped all the way to the epilogue and did read the entire epilogue. Do you know that thing read like chapter 10? There was absolutely no development, none. Things probably happened, but there was no development. So that would be similar to situations happening to people, but those situations do not affect that person in any way that lasts beyond whatever situation they're dealing with. As far as the quartet is concerned, I don't give a damn what happened. From what I could glean in the epilogue, Robin and Matt didn't work, and I knew they weren't going to work. You could tell before I got out of a quarter's length of the book that they were setting Robin and Matt up to end. We all knew it was going to end. But what I was looking forward to was for Robin and Strike to begin. They didn't. The only thing that they did that dipped a toe into the lake of change was that Robin visited Strike when he was visiting his nephew who had a burst, bursted appendix, who was suffering sepsis in the hospital. And on one of their jaunts outside for him to have a smoke I don't know even what he was about to do and I can't remember the lead up I don't know what could have possessed emotionless strike to kiss her on the cheek but whatever the cause was the effect was she turned her head simultaneously and did one of those accidental kisses and they both you know, stored that in their memory bank and loved every second of it. But did they tell each other? No. Did the kiss evolve into a real kiss? No. And reading the epilogue, they are still not communicating. Everything that they feel about each other is it's all an internal thing. None of it has crossed over the barrier from their brains to their vocal cords, and then out into the space around them. They still don't know how each other feel about each other. How could you, how could, so let me just keep going. So the epilogue, how do, how do I have the kind of confidence that this story was not worth reading 
totally. Because the epilogue read like chapter one through 70, which is about where I stopped. That's why. And let me backtrack. I may have done 70% of the book. I can't say I was at chapter 70 because I don't know if that was the truth, but I did about 70. I read about 70% of the book. And the last chapter read like it was chapter five or six, which meant there was no development. So I'm just highly, um, I highly advise against reading this book for yourself, unless you like to cringe. If that is your thing, do this, read this book, but um, it's not worth your time. It's going to suck too much of your time. This book was almost 700 pages. And as I have already indicated, somewhere along the line, in right in the course of writing the fourth installment of the Cormoran Strike series, J.K. Rowling equated detail with good storytelling. Details do not have any emotion or any heart within them i know that most situations in life especially when you have to deal with a specific situation the less emotional you know uh, additions you can add to it usually the clearer you can think but when you read a story the opposite is true you need to get inside of people's hearts and with jk rowling this time I feel like all she did was get inside of your head and actually push you away from the book. I could say in one sense that I gave up on the book, but the book gave up on me. The book forced me to stop because I just could not take it anymore. So unfortunately, I have that level of regard for this book. It was bad. And to confirm that I had not just overreacted. I went and just covered the reviews. And yes, I cherry picked the reviews because I needed to understand whether I was just imagining things or whether other people had a similar take. And they did. So much so, so similar were the reviews about this book that the five-star reviews didn't seem real to me because there's no way that book four can stand up against books one through three no way in hell so that is going to conclude lethal white by jk rowling take it for what it's worth as far as this review is concerned and nobody can force you you're an adult but when a book is bad from when a book is bad and the person is thoughtful and is considerate and is at least trying I think it's okay for you to take heed and if all else fails and you decide you want to be a first 
you know, you want a firsthand accounting of this, don't buy it. Do anything you have to do. Borrow it from the library. Get a loan from a friend. Do not purchase this book. It sucks. I am your host, T.A. Walker, and I am your bookie. And I will speak to you on the next episode. Thank you.